You're listening to episode 36, Gynecology 101. What is the difference between a pelvic exam and a pap smear? Welcome to Sky Women. I'm your host, Dr. Carolyn Moyers, a wife, mom, and board certified OBGYN. This is a place to educate, empower, and inspire. Join us each week as we share the power of women's stories. Real women, real stories, real inspiration. Put on your stretchy pants. Let's get going. Hi, friends. Welcome to Sky Women Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me today. Today, we're talking about the difference between a pelvic exam and a pap smear. Do you know the difference? If you don't, you are not alone. A pap test is medical screening to detect any changes in cells on the cervix in order to detect cervical cancer. The pap smear is usually done with a pelvic exam, but they're not the same thing. So let's break it down and I'll explain it. What is a pelvic exam? Now, before I get into this, when I say your doctor, I am also referring, I understand that a doctor, a physician assistant, a nurse practitioner, or a midwife may be performing your a pelvic exam or pap smear, okay? So your doctor will examine your external genitalia, so the vulva, the outer lips of the vagina, uh, the vagina, and the pelvic organs, as well as the pelvic floor muscles when they do a pelvic exam. A bimenial exam is used, is the exam that we use to check the internal pelvic organs. This is where two fingers are inserted in the vagina and then a hand is placed to place pressure on the lower part of the belly. When should you have a pelvic exam? You may not need a pelvic exam every year. Periodic visits for reproductive and well-woman care are definitely recommended, even if you don't need a pap smear that year. The periodic well-woman visit is important for screening, evaluation and counseling, immunizations based on your age and risk factors, and the Interval for specific individual services is going to be different for each individual. So the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology makes the following recommendations about when, how we're going to use a pelvic exam and when it's indicated. Okay, so number one, a pelvic exam should be performed when indicated by medical history or symptoms. If a woman presents and is having vaginal discharge, pelvic pain, different symptoms may indicate that we need to do an exam. Number two, based on current limited data on potential benefits and harms and expert opinion, the decision to perform the pelvic exam should be shared decision between the patient and her OB-GYN or other GYN provider. Okay, so that's shared decision making where we've discussed the risk, the benefits, um, and whatever indication there may be, okay? And then you get to make a choice. Limited number of studies have evaluated the benefits and harms of screening pelvic exam for detection of ovarian cancer, bacterial vaginosis, trichomonas, and genital herpes. Data from these studies are really inadequate to support a recommendation for or against performing a routine screening pelvic exam in those patients who have no symptoms, are not pregnant, and don't have any increased risk for specific GYN condition. If you have a current history of cervical dysplasia, so abnormal pap smears, uh, gynecologic malignancy, or DES exposure when in the womb, you should be screened and managed according to the specific guidelines for those conditions. 
After reviewing the risk and the benefits of your pelvic exam, it should only be performed if the patient expresses a preference for the exam. So again, you are in the driver's seat. Number six, regardless of whether a pelvic exam is performed, we do recommend that you see your OB-GYN at least once a year for well woman care. And number seven, a pelvic exam is not necessary before initiating or prescribing contraception other than an IUD or to screen for sexually transmitted infections. So let me break this one down a little bit. So if you're going to start birth control, you do not need to have a pelvic exam. It is not necessary unless there are other indications. Also, we have less invasive ways of screening for sexually transmitted infections now, such as through the urine. So be sure to discuss with your provider whether you need a pelvic exam during your well woman visit. This is shared decision-making. Okay, now what about pap smears? As I talk about recommendations, guidelines, etc. I want you to know this is a collection of data that is in agreement by the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, the American Society of Colposcopy and Cervical Pathology, and the Society for Gynecologic Oncology, um, as well as the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force. Um, they have screening recommendations. They have agreed on these. So let's kind of start from the beginning. First of all, what is a pap smear? A pap smear is screening for cervical abnormalities, right? So with this, your doctor performs um, a, puts a speculum in the vagina, visualizes the cervix, and then uses a small plastic spatula or brush to collect cells from the cervix. Remember the cervix connects your uterus to your vagina. Then a specially trained person takes those cells and examines them under the microscope in the laboratory to look for any abnormalities. A pap test is one of the most reliable and effective cancer screening tools. Um, it can find precancerous changes on the cervix um, that can be treated before cancer develops. So early detection is um, key. Women should start getting their pap smears around age, at age 21 with three-year intervals between screenings. So that's beginning at age 21 and every three years. The introduction of vaccines targeting the most common cancer-causing human papillomavirus genotypes is, has advanced our primary prevention of cervical cancer. And as our vaccine coverage increases, I expect that we're gonna see the HPV prevalence decrease and therefore the cervical cancer decrease. There are now uh, three recommended options for cervical cancer screening in individuals age 30 to 65. So remember from 21, we're getting at three-year intervals. Come age 30, there are three different screening recommendations. One would be primary high-risk HPV testing every five years. I am not a fan of this one, quite honestly. Some may be, that's okay. Cervical cytology alone every three years. So that's just your pap test every three years. Or co-testing, which is a combination of having your pap test and your high-risk HPV testing done every five years. This is by far my favorite. I feel like it gives us the most information. All three screening strategies are effective and each provides a reasonable balance of benefits um, such as disease detection and potential harms like 
harms would be like more frequent follow-up testing or invasive diagnostic procedures or unnecessary treatment in a patient where it's a false positive, meaning it's not truly positive, but it was read as positive. Data from a clinical trial cohort and modeling studies demonstrate that among average risk patients between the ages of 25 to 65, the primary high-risk HPV, high HPV testing and co-testing detect more cases of high-risk cervical dysplasia, so those high-risk abnormal findings, than just doing your pap test alone. But doing the high-risk HPV testing is associated with increased risk of having to have a colposcopy where we look at your cervix with a microscope and take some biopsies. There are risk and benefits with each. You just have to decide on what screening uh, test you're most comfortable with and your provider can help you do that. If you're age 30 and you have normal pap test and negative HPV testing, which is called our co-testing, you can space out your pap smears to every five years. And if your results have been normal, you can stop having pap smears at the age of 65, but you still need to have periodic pelvic exams, especially if you have any symptoms. But what if I've had a hysterectomy, right? I don't need pap smears anymore. Very common to think that. There's no screening in individuals who don't have a history of high-grade abnormalities on the cervix, so abnormal pap smears, high-grade abnormal pap smears, or cervical cancer. If either you've had cervical cancer or precancerous cells, then you have to continue doing PAPs to, and we PAP the, actually the top of the vagina, what we call the vaginal cuff. Many patients are surprised to learn that they don't have to have the PAP test every year. The screening guidelines do not apply to individuals with a cervix who are at high risk for cervical cancer, such as someone who has been previously diagnosed with a high-grade PAP, someone who has a compromised immune system, such as an um, HIV-positive patient, or if you've been exposed to DES while in the wound. So please talk to your doctor or your healthcare provider about the best time for you to have your pap test. And if you receive an abnormal pap test, be sure to schedule follow-up appointments with your physician because cervical cancer is preventable. Okay, that's it for today. I hope that it answered all your questions. Go ahead and click subscribe, leave me a review, and share this with a person in your life who could benefit. Until next week, be well. All right, Sky community, thank you for listening to another episode. This episode was sponsored by Sky Women's Health. As a reminder, we're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and we help relieve back pain and pelvic pain in pregnancy and beyond. If you are pregnant and having pain and you feel like you have no reliable way to relieve it, look us up at skywomenshealth.com, request an appointment, and we'll call to get you scheduled. As a board-certified OB-GYN with a Neuromusculoskeletal Medicine Fellowship, I help you realign with hands-on drug-free treatment and relieve pain on the spot without medication. We'll help you maintain these results through your pregnancy and postpartum period. Every pregnant person deserves this and we are so excited to serve you. You can find us on our website as mentioned or on social at Sky Women's Health or you can call the office at 817-915-9803. That's it for today. Until next week, be well.